We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a once again shows his commitment to Arsenal's success by making himself unavailable for the Southampton game. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gun- Gunner, for God's sakes. You know what? I'm not going to redo that, because much like the Arsenal, poor performance is just part and parcel of where we are together as a club, as fans, as a podcast, and I feel that that is appropriate. Maybe it is because, out of my sheer depression, I have baked chocolate chip cookies this morning. That's not even a thing I do. I did it. And here's what I've realized. The, the reason you don't want to bake chocolate chip cookies is because then you are alone in the house with chocolate chip cookies. So I am uh, 50% chocolate chip cookie right now, uh, which, you know, in the moment when I was doing it was fun. But, you know, much like the Arsenal game, now I have huge regrets and depression about many decisions that were made. Uh, here to be depressed with me about the Arsenal is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hey, hello, hello. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. I'm picturing you with chocolate streaks along your cheeks like a four-year-old who's been left alone with a tray full of hot chocolate cookies. The weird thing is, in the intervening eight minutes between putting them in the oven and them coming out of the oven, I managed to forget that I also had about three tablespoons of the cookie dough. Uh, so th- th- whatever that was, someone took the Men in Black flashy thing, Neuralizer, and neuralized me, and then I wound up just going to town on the on the warm chocolate chip cookies, but... You know, I mean, you have to self-medicate in the way that you find best. Uh, in the evening, for me, it is bourbon. And apparently, before noon uh, on a Monday, local time, it is chocolate chip cookies, which is disturbing. Anyway, enough about my uh, domestication in progress. And let's talk about the, uh, shall we say, the capitulation of our football club 
Was that a segue? Felt like a segue. Um, so, look, the one thing I don't want to do with this episode is I, I want to try to avoid the, sure, Arteta's doing bad and the players are bad, but it's the structure of the club that's the problem. It's the owners that are the problem. It's Adu and Vinay. Because that discussion is coming. Adu's not good enough. Vinay's not good enough. The owners aren't good enough. There's not enough oversight. There's not enough structure. Fine, I've said it. Like, it's out there and we know it. But... We can't cover everything in one episode, though we may try in a three-hour marathon. Um, So I think there will be time to discuss how you rebuild the club structure that was so quickly torn down when Arteta arrived, much to uh, his detriment. But let's not do that today. Let's stay focused on the football, on the players, on the coach, if that's okay with you guys. And I think we should start by just talking about how Arteta probably got what he deserved with the lineup. Um, Paul, I'll start with you. The the fact of this game is that Mikel Arteta had a chance at home against a team that's really struggling and probably can't hurt you to try to liven things up. And that, you know, if we were going to improve, I think the only real way we were going to improve was for him to find some kind of formula here with the players he has that could change the, the dynamic. And on Thursdays, he's been able to do that, but admittedly, it's against a level of opposition that get relegated from the championship, so it's less relevant. But, like, he, he didn't do that. He made the one enforced change. He he did stick with Granite Shaka, which is, I mean, it's it's really indefensible post-hoc, but I think even going into the game, he said, oh, do you need to do that? Could you found another solution? And I think he got punished. He got punished because he got a first half where, despite all the possession, we really very rarely threatened. And then in the second half, you know, the guy who probably shouldn't have been picked... Let him down and destroyed the game for him. So, I mean, do you do you feel that Arteta's willingness to stick with what wasn't working uh, sort of delivered the punishment it deserved? Um, so, uh, I'm going to keep my answer short so that you can move to Clive quickly because my answer, I think, is going to frustrate almost everybody. Um, like, I struggle to know... I'm frustrated when he keeps picking these players. On the other hand, I don't... Especially right now, when you look at the bench or what his options were. I kind of get it in this game. Um, the first half was okay, but but it was still poor, right? Um, but he picked it, uh, you know, William is a frustration every time we see him now because he's just massively underperforming. Chaka, we know what he is. Um, I, I don't think beyond those Two, he had a huge number of choices. I mean, he could have put Danny in or not, but we're not super pumped on Danny right now. Um, so it kind of mostly was what it was. Now, he's been clearly working on some. He, he's got a very tough position right now going back just before that game. Sure, he could switch to playing the youth. It doesn't mean it fixes problems that we start playing better. They've been working on stuff and it hasn't been coming off and it didn't come off in the first half. And yet they stuck with it. They come out at the start of the second half. They have a good 10 minutes, which sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, a a club or a person, a supporter of a club trumpeting 10 minutes, but it did actually kick in. I'm not saying Chaka was the reason why Willian was very involved in that 10 minutes. I'm not saying he did anything. Anybody else, Reese Nelson, had he been fit, or Smith Rowe, if he'd been fit, couldn't have done. But, you know, this, this, the idea that the manager walks away from these players right now, running into this series of games back to back over the holidays, I mean, I, I don't think it's tenable. 
Um, now, how did you get to this situation is another matter. But we had 10 minutes where had Chaka not right royally fucked it up for the manager, the team, maybe the whole arc. You know, a, a team can turn around on moments, on performances, on results. And, uh, you know, thank you, Chaka. Thank you for fucking blowing a hole in the bottom of the boat just when you might have thought you could see dry land. And so we had a very good 10 minutes playing good football, moving it around, movement. Um, the idea that these players don't want to play for the manager, I think it's a much grayer topic than that. They'll want to play if they start winning. They'll want to play if they start playing better football. So here we have 10 minutes Fucking get out the bazooka, blow a hole in the bottom of the boat, and we'll never know. So that's kind of my feeling on this game. I don't know he had a huge amount of choices going into this game and with the run-up coming along, but I know almost nobody will like that view. Mm. I I think it's hard for me to evaluate if we were playing better because... The, the hard thing for me is they were so bad. You know, I, I said this in the instant reaction. They felt fully prepared to play for a nil-nil, in my view. Yeah. And for the can first I, can half... Can I add at the end of this? Yeah, sure. Well, sure. I would just say in the first half, I definitely felt that we did not do enough to, to really blow the doors off them and, and their sort of desire to get that nil-nil. I mean, we had we had the one... Really? Was the Lacazette chance in the first half, the one that was well-stopped, sort of the instinctive first-time shot that was blocked? It was kind of right at the keeper. Is that a first-half shot? Yeah. That feels yeah. like yeah. that was our best chance, and, and, and a reasonable one. And then, look, the second half, to your point, I do think we started to cause them real problems and maybe could have gotten something were it not for Shaka. But, but Clive, I mean, one of the things... You know, I asked Paul. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, please. Well, yeah, you wanted to just put it. Put I was a just going to quickly say, look, I agree with that. I think we were pretty mediocre in the first half and they kind of let us have it. But it, it was decidedly different at the start of the second half. I, and I don't think I was just imagining it. And the commentators, I wrote two quotes at the end of 10 minutes. It was Alan Smith and the other fella. They've upped the ante, Arsenal. You sense it is a coming, as in a goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could. But yeah, okay. That was it. Uh, yeah, I mean, so look, I, it's hard to be positive about anything right now and no one's in the mood for that, but I, I do acknowledge that in the second half, you started to see patterns of play where we pulled them out of shape a little bit and created more opportunities. I think it's sort of interesting that a couple of our best moves ironically came when Aubameyang shifted back to a wide position and delivered some of the best balls. Um, he had one cutback was, was it the Lacazette shot or actually maybe it was a Tierney shot, but Clive, I think one of the issues for me is, you know, I asked Paul about the lineup and you know, there are, there are many ways in which I feel the lineup let him down because it, it was sticking with what hasn't worked. Um, but the one thing that I think is really interesting is, and I heard this conversation on the Arscast, well, what could he have changed? Pepe's not available. Smith Rowe is an injury concern. Are you going to play him again after playing him in the Europa League? Um, you know, Maitland-Niles is certainly a guy who maybe could have come in in the midfield instead of Ashaka. Uh, Danny Ceballos, potentially, although we've seen ourselves fail with Danny Ceballos. But for me, Clive, the issue is, Alexander Lacazette is working his socks off, but he is being asked to be Kevin De Bruyne and Jack Grealish all rolled into one. I cannot believe the role that this guy is being asked to play right now. 
And while I think he is a good footballer, I think we are so quick to say someone is shit. He's not good enough for Arsenal at nine, but he's definitely not good enough for Arsenal at box-to-box, eight-stroke, ten. He's not that. And that's where I would say, you know, you've got to give someone else that role. You have to. I mean, I don't care if it's, you know, play play Danny Ceballos in that role more or risk Smith Rowe on, on less rest or, you know, find a role for someone who can give it to Bukayo Saka and play someone else out wide. I mean, that role is not an Alexander Lacazette role. And I'm sort of curious if you feel that the way Lacazette has been shoehorned into that now, what's developed in almost like a box-to-box attacking midfield role is something that is a sensible move from Arteta or an example of a bit of desperation that's just not cutting it. Well, any moves at the moment are not sensible. So can we just caveat that, right? So um, but let me explain to you what I think he's trying to do. So he's playing split strikers. He's playing one plus one. He's playing one deep, one high. And if if Lacazette goes all the way back to on his back pocket, then that's just him. But he's trying to play him in a, a one plus one role, like almost like a nine and a half of a striker ahead. You know, and lots of teams do this. And sometimes when you have the ball, you, sorry, when you haven't got the ball, you, you end up in a 4-4-2 shape and you try to press them with two strikers to put them under pressure. And that's what you do. And, I, and I've seen him do this before. So I, I don't think that's crazy. I don't come away from this game thinking, oh my God, Lacazette, if he, you know, Lacazette's form and his lack of conviction, you want that discussion, how he approached that chance in the first half, how he just bowled up to it and stuck his toe out. All he had to do was shape his inset and, and push it into the corner with a little bit of care and attention. And we're, and this game is a different story. Right? That's the sort of thing I want to talk about. His lack of confidence and lack of balls when it really matters. When it didn't matter against Rapid Vienna, he's, he's kicking it in from the West End. Do you see what I mean? And it's like, where, where do you go when it really matters? Where do you go? What do you want to be? The first time I saw this in Lacazette and I really started to have doubts was in Baku. The Baku game, he disappeared completely. I know they got disconnected. We played a 3-5-2 and they sat on us and pushed us wide and disconnected us, made the penalty box really crowded and bashed us up. But he was so easily disconnected, so fragile, so frail under pressure. I, I wonder why people can't see this sort of stuff and then decide on the back of it and say, this guy's not going to take us somewhere. We need to lose them. We need to lose them. We're not going to the promised land with you. We might go to the halfway to the promised land with your mate, but we can't carry both of you, right? We've got to make a decision. And we don't. We don't make decisions quickly enough. So we end up failing massively, but failing a year and a bit later, and a year a bit older, a year and a bit, 180 grand a week, coming out of our club. And then you start to see a much more of a squad building, squad issue, squad retention type-ish problem. You know, why don't we take the money when it's offered? It might be five mil less, but we can go again. There's always talent out there. That's the sort of thing that bothers me, Elliot. Not so much mm-hmm. the position in this game, because you made some suggestions there. Even in your voice, I didn't, you know, I'm not sure you fully believe those suggestions. I, I don't have any quality. conviction in the solutions that are yeah. in the squad, but I think what I have exactly. conviction is that, you know, th- this is a manager, in my view, Clive, who one of the mistakes he's sort of made during his tenure, again, in my view, is a lot of very weird 
uses of certain players in ways that I think have not allowed them to do the things they're particularly skillful at or the best at. And I acknowledge that there are a lot of players that aren't very good in this squad. Well, can I just put one little bit on yeah. that? Because mm-hmm. if you got this guy and he's trying to find a role for him, so the role that he found for him with Pepe and like uh, Aubameyang on the left, um, that front three, cup final system, blah, 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 with uh, Maitland-Niles or Saka sort of bodyguarding that left-hand side, making sure Aubameyang didn't have to work too hard and focus on goal scoring. Lacazette as a pivot, Pepe doing his individual thing on the right-hand side. Not too bad, right? Not not great, but not too bad. Lacazette, we go to Leicester. Lacazette misses the key chances, the header on the line, and and we see chances. The Liverpool chance he went through. I think he had a chance at City, and we all say we want a Bamyang centre forward, and we all did because what we see, we think, well, Bamyang would have finished those chances. Lacazette, you're not doing it, right? So we put Lacazette, we put a Bamyang centre forward. And we don't have any connection to him. He's literally on an island. So then he reacts and then puts Lacazette in behind him to try to create that relationship and connection. And we're still not seeing anything. So we're in a dilemma where we have a mismatch of a squad where we have some experienced guys that are not firing. We're trying to get into fire. And some young guys who we're not sure are quite ready. They look really promising. Our gut says, we want to throw them in. We want to throw them in because we want to see what they've got because this lot of crap. Yet we're not really con- we're not really convinced. Is that the right way to treat them? Is that the right way when they've been here 10 years to solve our little comfort problems of a period in time which is nothing to do with them and potentially hang them out to dry? We had a conversation last week about Eddie. We were saying he should be sold. We should be sold because Balogun's coming. A couple of bad games, a couple of bad touches, and we're on to them. It's a very difficult dilemma for the manager. Do I go or do I stick? I think he overstuck. He needs to go a bit because, I said this yesterday earlier, I cannot, you cannot lose a North London derby and pick the same team because what you're saying is that's okay mm. and that's never okay when you're an Arsenal manager. It's never okay to lose it like that. You make sure that you make a change and you're, it doesn't have to be five changes. It's one or two max. Because you're saying, that's not okay. These are the rhythms of my selection. We've lost a big game. None, not everyone can survive that. Can't happen. It can't happen because then you lose people. They can't read you when it comes to selection. Mm. And that's what I think's happened over the weekend. Yeah, and, and there's an argument we're going to have. I'm going to table it for later in the pod because I think the minute I bring it up, it's going to, this, this whole thing's going to, burst and then we're all just going to yell at each other <clears throat> so i'm going to save that because that'll be fun for later um i think it is relevant clive that you pointed out something really important which is lock is that how we looked against rapid vienna versus you know how he looks in this game and and the degree of clinicalness and the, the degree of of skillfulness i mean you just can't overemphasize the golf in, in caliber but also just the golf in willingness to be I don't know even how to put it, how to how to say it, to be more um, effective is the best way I can say it. Because another great example is Mohamed Elneny. I mean, he is, you know, scoring a Galazzo against Dundalk and then going back to, you know, shuttle passes back to Shaq in his defense against Burnley and, and no progressive play and, and not hurting them at all and not pushing the ball forward and being the player that he's sort of been maligned for, at least by me, <laughs> during his Arsenal tenure. Um 
And that, that really is the issue. I want to read you a quote. I think this is super interesting. This is Daniel Farkey's, uh, is that how you say his name? Fark? Farkey? Fark? I think he, he, he went down with Norwich. Um, yeah, Norwich Manual, mm-hmm. Daniel Farkey, yeah. Fark, okay. In general, the teams that are promoted because of a solid defense find it easier to adapt to a higher level because they're still solid. And when they are then able to add quality in the offense, they have a good chance to stay in the league in the first season. They have more problems the year after because with no offensive plan, they struggle to take the next step. Now, he's talking about promoted teams, but this is so interesting because Arteta came in and gave us a defensive structure and it immediately righted the ship. But with no offensive plan, we've struggled to take the next step. And he says teams who are promoted with a brilliant offensive plan and possession-based side find it difficult to be successful in the first season because on a higher level, they're not that outstanding anymore. They have to do uh, what's not that much in the DNA of the players. It's more about defending to be solid. The offensive players who were praised as much the season before then need good defending behavior. These types of teams struggle a lot in the first season. Once you're then capable of staying in the league, then the second and third years are much easier. Okay, I think this is really interesting because Mikel Arteta did write the ship through a defensive structure. But as we've seen, we don't have an attacking plan. And as he's tried to add that, everything has fallen apart. Almost like a second season promoted team that's trying to layer an attack on top of a defense and is now just finding that they can't do it. Now we're doing that with a lot more talent than those teams usually are. But I thought that was interesting. And before we come on to Shaka, and before we come on to Arteta fully, and before I make everybody mad by starting a fight, Paul, I want to ask about Willian and and sort of that that right hand side. Uh, Willian now has one shot on target uh, since he's arrived at Arsenal, which is is great in the league. Um, it, it's it's been an absolute disaster, and, and I mean it's seven hundred ninety nine minutes played, one shot on target. That comes from Statman Dave on Twitter. So that right hand side does seem to be an issue. The the corner kicks were a disaster. The overlapping play, I mean, if you look at Williams' pass map, every time it's at the byline or, or, you know, deeper than the penalty area, it goes back to midfield or the defense. I don't in know. In this game or generally? Uh, in this game, at least in the first half. Okay. I'm looking at his pass map and it's devastatingly yeah. bad. So I know he served in maybe one good cross. I know uh, Bellerin put in one cross, the, the good cross, I think, for our, our, uh, Aubameyang's header, right? I think it was a Bellerin cross. But that that flank is a mess and it feels to me like a situation with William where he's already unusable. So I'm curious what you made of, of his quote unquote performance in this game and the manager's willingness to, to stick with him. I mean, I realize we've just invested three years of a lot of money in him, but it, it already seems failed to me. So what's your take on, on his performance here and, you know, Arteta's willingness to just kind of keep persisting with a guy who doesn't seem to have anything left. Yeah. uh, He's bad. Um, I don't really get it. I mean, he was okay last season. Like, uh, I mean, I know you can fall off a cliff, but like, he he, he isn't falling off a cliff. He climbed in a, a dive bomber and accelerated downwards rapidly. I don't think it can just be physical. Um, I mean, two other clubs wanted him, right? Chelsea, who knew everything about, about him. I mean... You got the KGB somewhere in the background there. They got every biometric on the guy. They knew what they had. They wanted him for two years on good money. Uh, Spurs wanted him. They haven't been fools in the market lately. So he shouldn't be terrible. Um, He may not be terrible, but he's playing terrible for us, whatever's going on. Maybe the rigidity of Arteta's structure, he doesn't feel shows off his game. Maybe he thinks... 
the way Arteta wants to play makes him look bad, and yet he keeps getting picked. So it makes you think that maybe um, he doesn't have a huge issue with it, and Arteta doesn't have a huge issue with him. He just thinks that when the patterns of play develop, like in my rosy scenario that this 10 minutes at the start of the second half, if this were a microcosm of the season, it would have been perfect until the Chaka moment. You know, uh, struggling, struggling, struggling for 45 minutes to make things click. And then suddenly uh, the clouds clear and a pattern of play and an understanding. Now, yes, we're up against Burnley, but I don't think they intended to come out in the second half worse than the first half. I expect they came, expected to come out with some actual mm-hmm. additional energy and have a go at it. They must have had a halftime talk saying, uh, right, as we thought, lads, Arsenal are here for the taking. They're no great shakes. One goal nicks this. So they didn't, I don't think they planned to come out even more sat back in the second half. So I think that's what Arteta was hoping for. Now, maybe this this was a mirage, the 10 minutes. But I think that... That encapsulates at least the logic of why he kept picking him so that at some stage it would click. I doubt William's metrics, like his biometrics, have dipped so much that he's a different player. I don't know why he's so bad. He wasn't this bad when the games I saw last year. Um, And as I say, this is three clubs who wanted him, not just two. And the other two clubs are... You would have to say, well run when it comes to recruitment, one of whom knew absolutely everything about him. So I don't understand it. He's bad. He does. Uh, what I don't get is that kind of jogging around thing, that lack of movement. In general, I don't get it with players, but then I've never been a professional player. Like if you're not playing well, at least literally run around a bit. Make it look like you're bleeding for the team. Bang into a bunch of people. I don't quite get that now. If what you're really struggling to do is to implement the plan and that's what's going on in your head and that's why you're jogging around the place, you're like, you know, what should I be doing here? You know, it's more important to work out how to click into the plan, the patterns, the movement. But man, he's, you know, he'll play a pass back and then not make that run or he'll make it one out of two times or one out of three times. He's not the only one who does that. I don't get it. Somebody who's a professional footballer can explain it to me someday. I don't get it. Fucking run. If you're not, you know, if you're not there, if you're not, if things aren't clicking for you, at least make those runs. Always be running. Uh, you know, that, that clip recently with Lineker talking about strikers and how the best ones make one for the defender, one for themselves. In yeah. other words, they pull out and they move back <clears throat> in again. I mean, there's a version of that for every player on the pitch. You should always be moving. Always. Yeah, I, I, look, I don't care. I, I have to tell you, Paul, like I, you know, I never wanted William and that I thought it was an insanely yep. stupid move. And we'll come on to some of this in a bit. But m- in my wildest nightmares, I thought usable first season. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Usable first. I, season. I thought if we'd got him for two, two years, that was OK. I, I mean, I didn't think that. And I, I'm, I'm, as everybody knows, when I'm not, we, I'm not the optimist. Him, yeah, go when ahead. We got, <laughs> when we got him, what job did you think he was doing? Well, we talked do. ourselves into the idea that he'd come in field and play a little more of that linking role because, you know, maybe his pace yeah. is going a bit, but he still has control and decision making. I, I think well, we all, I think we talked ourselves no, into it. I think Tim told us not to. Uh, I don't think we did. I remember I us talking about it. I think 90% of it was we thought he'd play on the right. We did? 
So, so wait, yep. I, I want to be clear I about something. I did. That doesn't Tim make did. any sense because what that means is we believed he was being brought in as a Pepe yep. replacement, and we, and we were yeah. okay with I, that? I mean, I remember talking about it on the pod, and, like, I was uh, – I mean, it's not that we didn't entertain the idea that he might be tried out as a 10, but – I would say Tim and I. I can't remember. I can't speak for Clive, but I know Tim and I basically saw him as a uh, yeah. A, Tim did to a, be fair. a right wing, so and we definitely well. debated the that clash. Then what's the logic with Pepe? We were very concerned about the Pepe yeah. angle. In I, particular. I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna trust here. Let me just say this real quick, Clive, before we come back. Is just that in my in my view of trying to at least justify a move I hated. It was, he'll play on the left so Oba can go central and Lacazette doesn't start every game, or he'll play as a linking player with Sack on the left, Pepe on the right, and Oba through the middle. In my wildest nightmares, it was never, he will start instead of Pepe and be abjectly terrible from the get-go. Clive? Yep. I was the same. I thought he may go on the, on the left, and Tim said he's much, he plays most of the game on the right. I thought, okay, but surely we can't be... Um, we can't be really investing on the right hand side. Because he must he must play as an inside player against Sheffield United. We played in the sort of the base of the front four diamond. That twenty five minutes against Sheffield United of Oasis lovely football. I thought, there you go. We found his role. He's got to play on the inside. He he can't be up and down on around the outside at thirty, thirty two, wherever he is. And um that was a position for me. And um but it it didn't hasn't happened since, right? So um I never thought he would take out the guy who was man of match in the cup final on record signing. I never thought that was going to be the the issue. I, I will say something, and Paul said something yesterday, and I'm not sure if you realise what genius this actually was, right? So, but careful, will, careful, man. Said, let's not let's not praise the guy too much. He's already impossible to live with. Yeah, we know this. We know this. Uh, but what say I this say very is, uh, slowly, Clive. Okay, you said something last night. You said about Arteta being offered certain players. And you know, I think it was Cedric, and he said, but we shouldn't be offering him Cedric. And I thought, that's this is the crux of the issue for me. Why are we offering Willian to our manager? Why do we feel we need Willian? Unless we can answer this question, we're not going to be able to move forward. What if he wanted him? What if he wanted Willian? Well, I mean, that's what happens when you make a young coach manager. So what, though? So, so players get off the ground all the time, off around all the time, but we just happen to have his agent in the club. Do you know what I mean? Well embedded with our director of football. So he's, he's the director of football, got the right name, the right title. Um, and then you're offered a, you're offered two or three of his clients. Now, if you're a bit more experienced, you say, you know what? Let me just hold for a while. Let me find out what I've got here. Do you know what I mean? And but we've taken him. We've taken him for whatever reason. But you know what? The question is, why do we feel we need it? And there was a great podcast out last week, Second Captain's Podcast. I think they used the the title that this Arsenal suffer from is something called status anxiety. I thought that is genius. That is what we're doing when we're reaching. We're reaching. We're worried about our status. And these big contracts, these big players give us a full sense of identity. And it's, why are we doing this? We need to step back, get a full-length mirror and stand in front of it and say, this is who we are right now. We're crap. And we need to stop holding on to this Champions League thought process and having these big players. Because all that's happening is the rumours going around the game, you can make your brass at Arsenal, 
and sit in a coffee shop in Highgate and enjoy yourself. And you don't have to play. Right? And that's what I don't like. I know we touched on culture last night, but it is massively important how you drive that sort of culture and drive that crap out by your good decisions. Mm. I think that's right? spot on, Clive. I think we've a club, a technical director, a manager who are much more comfortable buying names than buying a bunch of talented 20 because they don't know what they're doing. Players. I mean, let, let's yeah. be clear about something. Yeah, yeah. You, you can call it status anxiety, and I like that, and I think that's clever, and, and I think it's right. But it's because you don't know what you're doing. So a big yep. agent offers you Pepe, and you spend 72 million pounds on him. And then the coach wants someone experienced who he feels will follow instructions, so you get a 32-year-old to replace him. It's insanity. Now, look, I think there is a deep irony in the fact that Mikel Arteta has been really torpedoed by the senior experienced players that he was so wedded to, that, you know, apparently we had an offer to sell Shaka back to Germany, that he, he changed his mind on doing it. He wanted to keep him in the team, and he brought him back into the fold, and he went and got Willian, a senior guy who, you know, would follow, under, follow instructions, and David Luiz, and, you know, all these experienced dudes, and they are the ones who have absolutely torpedoed him. While meanwhile, a kid in Bukayo Saka is running around all over the pitch trying to do whatever he can to, to keep the, the team ticking over. It really is. A shame, frankly. And Clive, so look, yep. there, there's really only two conversations left to have in this podcast. One is Granit Xhaka and the other is Mikel Arteta. So let's do the Shaka part and then we're going to get to the hard Mikel Arteta part and I'll start the fight that will uh, lead to the down, downfall of the podcast. Um, <laughs> is so, it, so, is it, it's an opportunity to talk a little bit about the kids. Well, is I think, not, the, I think they no will naturally come into the conversation, okay. right? Because there, there is, there's a real danger, Clive, integrating kids when they have to be the savior when you know, there's a saying in in um, in the NFL in the United States, quarterback is is the most important position, and mm-hmm. you know they say when when you're losing, the backup quarterback is the most popular guy in town because there's this presumption that he'll come in and fix it, and it's one thing to have a presumption that like Pepe at 25 can come in and fix it, but when you want teenage Smith Rowe to fix it and teenage Balogun to fix it and teenage Aziz to fix it. And te- you know, that's that's dangerous for them and dangerous for the club and dangerous for their development. But let, let's do the Shaka thing, okay? Just real quick, because this yeah. or not yeah. even real quick. Yeah. Let's just let's just settle into it. Let's let's get a, a fork and a knife and, and cut this guy up and make a meal out of him. Because his tenure at the club has been an absolute shambles start to finish in my view. And I was very much on record after the armband incident that he should never play for the club again. Clive, I don't understand the notion of leadership here. I don't understand because everything I see this player do is about him. Whether it's, you know, making political gestures for the national team, and you, you can argue whether those gestures are good or bad, you know, or whether it's throwing the armband down for Arsenal or getting silly yellow and red cards, the way he tackles with his arms, the way he has this fake tough guy routine. I don't see leadership on the pitch. And you can tell me he's a leader in the dressing room. I don't see leadership on the pitch. And I I cannot think of a player who has been so indulged in Arsenal for the past 10 years more than Granit Xhaka, being allowed to go out there, play however he wants to play, put in abject performances, be the epitome of mediocrity, never finish in the top four, and yet an ever-present. And what he did in this game, look... I've only seen the challenge once, but from recollection, he dives in pretty aggressively. It's a pretty nasty challenge. I'm not saying it's red, but it's aggressive. And it's sort of out of the blue. And he's being pulled away from it for his own good and then goes hand to throat to the guy. Now, the question I kind of want to ask you about this, we have seven red cards since Arteta got here. 
Elneny nearly gets sent off later with a hand to the face. We're seeing a lot of breakdowns of discipline on the pitch. And I guess what I would ask you is, as much as I want to blame Shaka here, is this endemic of a deep frustration and unhappiness playing football for Arsenal right now? The fact that so many players, you know, Pepe headbutting to get sent off, losing his temper, Shaka losing his temper. Has Arteta ratcheted up the sort of anger? Elneny. Uh, yeah, Elneny I, yeah, I mentioned the, the Elneny hand in the face. Uh, has yeah. he ratcheted up the frustration levels and anta- antagonistic levels in the in the team so much that this kind of stuff is a natural outcropping? Or is this purely another Granite Shaka all about himself uh, moment of, of undiscipline? It, it comes back to what you're allowed to do. What you're allowed to do at work, right? So was it... <laughs> We can all find our granite shaka moment where we think, well, maybe this is the time for him to go. Let me let me raise you another one, shall we? Was it Brighton at home? We were trying to get Champions League with Embry's era when he chased a guy into the corner of the area and then took him down in a box and <laughs> gave away a penalty. Do you remember that one? I do. Right? Yeah, it was in so, like the 90th minute or something too, wasn't it? Yeah, thanks for that, Chloe. <laughs> yeah, you know, and we miss out on Champions League by one point. And then we <laughs> goes to Baku and disappears into a wardrobe. Never see him. It, it, there are. We spoke about this yesterday. Um, it he does epitomise everything that's gone wrong because he's an average player with attributes which no longer belong at the top table of the English Premier League. He's a target for other teams. His superpower has reduced in power, in ability to pass, has reduced. He falls the statistics by playing these passes into the final third. But we all, we've all seen these passes now, so we're not buying it anymore. Right? So, um, And they're not getting through as much as they used to. He hasn't got the range to switch. He hasn't got the range over the top. So the things that we... I was come back to... He says we come back. We try to convince ourselves. We convince ourselves that we need a solid, solid guy in there. We think, oh, he's, he's playing against Burnley. Maybe we need him for his aerial ability. Well, every time I look at a cross, he's jumping under it. So he's no longer doing that anymore. He's, he's, he's classic. If you don't look at yourself and say, well, after that Brighton game, do we need to get this guy out? We've seen the best of him. Do it before it's ready. Do it a year earlier than you should. Because that's generally the right time. That's what he used to do. When people sleep for I used to almost cry. Because they were, well, why are we doing this? And a year later, you think, oh, I guess thank God we got rid of him. We do it a year later than that. You know, if you don't look after your house, this is what's going to happen. We're just too comfortable with mediocrity in our camp. And they are allowed to do what they like. And it comes back to that culture issue. You're allowed to do that. That tells you that at Arsenal, it's okay to give away a penalty in a critical game for the Champions League. Go out there and continue to stink out of the house. Go out there, throw the shirt down, throw the armband down, tell the crowd to get stuff, and you're still here. At some point, there needs to be a moment we said, these are the standards by which we live by. These are the standards of what we expect of our players. And if you go over those standards, you're not here. I, mean, I know that's going to link onto some of That's one of the links to why I was impressive Arteta when he first came in, because he was talking like this. It's exactly what I wanted to hear. He was telling us who we are, telling us who our values are, 
this is how we're going to live. This is how we're going to be. I'm thinking, at last, somebody's come along. We have a long way to go, a real long way to go. At last, someone's come along. And then when the pressure hits, he's still here and he's still getting picked. And he's still getting picked after North London Derby. That's where the mixed messages come in. And if you allow yourselves into mixed messages, well, you're into the washing machine, aren't you? And good luck, mate. Good luck in the Arsenal washing machine. You never come out of there. You never come out of there. They should start winning foot matches real quick, right? And we spotted this well with the Pepe incident. And there are many examples of players that continually are allowed to be below the standard and still here. Not only still here, managed to fool us for long enough that they walk away for free. Mm. You know what I mean? And so we can't even rebuild. We can't even rebuild. We can't get any resale value because we're that stupid that we can't rebuild. So we're now relying on £7 million forwards from Brazil who are 18. You know, we're so stupid as a club. And then, of course, the people that front the club become targets and they become associated with this stupidity. If you're associated with this level of stupidity, you deserve what you get. And Arteta picked him this weekend and he deserved what's coming. He better fix this real quick. Yeah, he... He got what he deserved. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but he got exactly what he deserved. And if you indulge someone like Granite Shaka long enough, you're just going to keep getting punished. Because is Granite Shaka a terrible footballer? He he isn't. Like I, I say this so many times, there is this false binary that players are either good or they're shit, and that just isn't the case. Granite Shaka is fine. He's not good enough for us. We've never been top four with him in the team. He's been an ever-present. He doesn't have the athleticism. He has one type of pass he can make. Spin it out, hard and low to the fullback, and that's his contribution. When he needs to tackle, he does it with his arms. He's always out of position. And and he has no ability to control his temper. And there are people that will back him because it's passion. P-A-S-H-U-N, of course. Um but it's not passion, it's selfishness. Because it's not passion for the team. Was that tackle and subsequent throat grab something he did for the team? Of course not. Something he did for himself. He was angry, he was ready to have a day off, and he got it. The only thing he did for the team is make sure Arteta can't pick him against Southampton. Paul, I, I want to get your take on, on the Shaka thing. Um, I mean, yeah. at some level, I'm prepared to just heap all the blame on Granite Shaka because I've, I've got plenty of time for criticizing Granite Shaka, who in my view should never have played football for Arsenal again after the armband incident. We've covered it at length. So if you want to hear my argument for that, it's on record, and I don't think it needs to be reiterated much beyond what I said at the time, uh, whether you agree with it or disagree with it. I mean, that's just that's just how I felt, and I, I will continue to feel that way. But the fact that we are picking up so many red cards, the fact that there's so much indiscipline on the pitch, you know, Arteta had the famous quote, we need to suffer together. And oh, by the way, he wasn't wrong. We are we are suffering together, let me tell you. But he has taken a very hard line approach to discipline, to training, to what he expects. And I realize these are professional footballers. Like, a lot should be expected of them. But it doesn't look like football's very fun at Arsenal. Now, winning is fun. So if training is hard, but you're winning a lot, that can be fun. But if training is hard, and the discipline is strict, and the football is bad, and the results aren't there, you've got an issue. Paul, I think when you decide to do things a certain way in football, when you decide to make unconventional choices and make hardline choices and go really up against your own players, the only way it works is winning. And the minute you stop winning, it's a catastrophe. And I'm worried that that's kind of what's happened here. So do you do you see this as purely a Granite Shaka 
problem? Or do you think that while it is a Granite Shaka problem, we don't want to excuse him, it is starting to look like a, a problem of attitude among the players generally? Um, I definitely think the players are under a lot of stress. And I think if you look at at least a couple of the players who've who've had uh, red mist moments, they're players whose position have been uh, under stress. I mean, Chaka has been moved from being basically first name on the midfield sheet to he knows it's it, when party party is fit, it's party, and then who goes with him. So, uh, and he's under massive criticism generally in the media right now and leading up to this. So you could imagine why the kind of the, the cloud of doom has been over his head. It's very reminiscent of the Emery era and how that all went toxic and how he became the lightning rod for it. So there's two in a row. Um, and, you know, he plays his role in that too. It's not all external forces picking on him. You know, part of it's just down to him. Uh, Pepe, I think, is an interesting one, too, because you wouldn't associate this with him. But, you know, he's back in he's back in the starting lineup. He's playing, but he's he's been under that stress of uh, not being a favorite anymore, not being in the the thinking, kind of being on the outs, a bit like Chaka maybe feels is coming. Um, and then on, in these kind of red mist moments, they lose themselves. Now, Chak has done it multiple times, so uh, Pepe's done it once. El, Nene, El Nene's maybe done it once, and his story's a little bit different. He probably was over-trying and struggling with Tarkowski to keep him under control and just the whole stress of the situation. The massive frustration with me for Chaka was, and I said this yesterday, um, forgetting whether it was a red card moment, the fact that he got into this fucking scuffle in the middle of the pitch, we, which we didn't think had turned into a red card, I was already livid with him for changing the momentum of a team. He should have just been fucking professional and said, I'm letting this go. Yeah. Keep, speed play up. Don't slow it down. Everything's going our way right now. We have them right where we want them, in theory. Um don't fucking change the momentum. Don't get them stirred up. Don't get them uh, fired up. Don't get them uh, barreling into tackles and pressing us down all over the place. We had, when you have the momentum going your way, you're not going to have it for 45 minutes. We had it for 10 minutes. We could turn it into 20, 25 minutes, get a goal. We've scored three goals in like seven minutes. I don't know what it was against Sheffield United. But we, that was that moment. We could have turned this game turn our next run of games, turn our our season potentially. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a long shot, but if you're going to turn it around, this was probably the game, and he just fucking uh, had his meltdown. I, I, like, I'm not going to... This is not the day to do any kind of defense of Granit Xhaka. I don't, I don't share uh, other people's views, your view, Elliot, of his character and his personality. I do think he's a fucking liability. And 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 him, Luis, Mustafi, it's a, it's a calculated gamble when you play those guys consistently because when the same conditions arise in the future, the same outcome will come. And that's true of Luis and it's true of Mustafi. So when you pick them, you're assuming that this this and the next three, four, five games, you're going to dodge a bullet, but eventually there'll be a bullet. 
Um, <coughs> now, the, I'm reading um, uh, some biographies of, I got them stacked up over there, Lenin, Hitler, and fucking uh, Stalin. And the one thing I've become clear is you got to be pretty bloodthirsty and you need some scapegoats. Now, the scapegoats can be the real deal or just scapegoats, but certainly, uh, Granite, thank you for stepping up. Your time has come, <laughs> right? Uh, Stalin, <laughs> St- Stalin's list of enemies, stick him right at the top. There's something we can all get around, and you don't need to debate it too far. We need a couple more. Um, you know, whether you keep the manager or you lose the manager uh, over January, some people have to pay in blood. And... Uh, Thank you for promoting yourself to the top of the list, Chaka. Hang on. I just need to cross off a Patreon idea. I had Paul's book club done. Okay. <laughs> Not going to do that one. Um, yeah, look, I, I, the funny thing is I, I'm uncomfortable with the word scapegoat only because he is the, the bad guy. He's he. If you said to me this era of Arsenal, late Wenger, Emery, Arteta, what's the tie that binds? What's the most emblematic paragon of failure at Arsenal. It's indulging Granite Xhaka. It's playing him when he wasn't good enough. It's not moving him on when he had some resale value. It's letting him get the armband, then throw it on the ground and tell the fans to go fuck themselves. Then letting him post an Instagram post in the match day program because he wouldn't apologize. Then bringing him back into the fold. Then turning down another chance to move him on. Then making him an ever-present again. And just not learning any lessons. Indulging guys that can't get you where you want to go. It is the quintessential problem at Arsenal. Now we're going to have the fight. Because Clive... Please, yeah, if you want to say something before this devolves into a fight, now would be the time to do it. Wait, don't fight me, right? So what I'm going to say is... <laughs> well, not with fists, obviously. I'm a coward. <laughs> I'm talking about words alone. What, what I'm going to... What I would say is, you know, let's be honest, right? Should we have bought him in the first place? Right? That's This is this is what I'm trying to talk about. We spent 35 million on somebody that no one else was fighting for. We had a chance to get N'Golo Kante. We didn't want to give his brothers a couple of million in their back pocket. Chelsea did, bang, in you come. Win the league title in your first season. There you go. Thank you very much. That's what a proper midfielder looks like. He can move. He can run. He's won the league already. He's shown he held Leicester midfield together on his own. He made Danny Drinkwater look good, for God's sake. And then he basically had the chance to come to Arsenal. And we found that because of our morals and our values and what we stand for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we went for the other bloke. Just got runs around in diving boots, can't move, bad disciplinary record, and then we find a way to keep him here over many, many years. How long has he been here? Is it four or five years? Must be something like it's that. Gotta be yeah. four or five years. Four or five years. He's only second contract, I believe. Do, do, do you understand? Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We talk about the output of something that we did to ourselves. Arteta didn't sign him. Everyone plays him because he comes on with leadership. But this is the root cause of the problem at Arsenal. How we got here is by those dumb decisions. There's too many of them to mention. Yeah. So let's talk about Arteta now. Because I want to I be clear. I'm going to plant my flag and I'm not going to speak for anybody else. Mikel Arteta has to go. Mikel Arteta will not turn this around. That doesn't mean Mikel Arteta does not have a big career in coaching. That Mikel Arteta doesn't have good ideas about football. That Mikel Arteta is not a bright guy. I've watched a lot of football for a long time. I cannot think of situations that have hit this kind of nadir where the guy in charge turned it around. And I'm sure now I will get hundreds of tweets and emails about the one example where that happened. But 
it's kind of like the age curve conversation. We say, no, this is the guy that's going to beat that. If you think this guy, Arteta, is the guy who's going to turn around a situation that is almost never turned around, that's great. And if you want to say that talking about relegation is hyperbole, I mostly agree with you. But we have lost four at home in a row for the first time since 1959 and just lost at home to Burnley. So the idea that there are points around the corner is not a foregone conclusion. And there's no Thomas party during this crowded period. I mean, I, I don't know how you can say that a team that can't score goals, that doesn't have good players, that has a coach that is floundering, is definitely going to pick up points. Now, we probably are. But, you know, I, I don't see how he turns this around. And the issue, of course, goes beyond him. Please do not conflate me saying that Arteta needs to go with me saying Arteta is the whole problem. He is not the whole problem. Mikel Arteta is not the whole problem. But as I said at the top of the pod, we're not going to do the Adu Vinai club structure thing. That's broken and has to get fixed. But for right now, we have to arrest this decline and we have to pull this back together. And that means that we have to move on from this coach in my view. And this is where the fight's going to happen. Clive, when you make choices that are iconoclastic, when you do things that are controversial, when you hurt feelings, when you push buttons, when you make tough decisions, that can work. But it has to work. Because if it doesn't work, it collapses spectacularly. And Mikel Arteta has done things since he arrived at Arsenal that even the most senior managers with cup-winning experience, you know, European Cup, Premier League title-winning experience, would struggle to do. And he has tried to do it as a first-time coach. He got involved in the players giving up a piece of their salary during the pandemic, their wages. He kicked Ozil out of the team, kicked Socrates out of the team, kicked Ganduzi out of the team. He has chosen to isolate William Saliba. These are big calls, big, big calls. He has opted to go after certain players in the market that you maybe have to scratch your head about and made some selection decisions that you have to scratch your head about, putting Pepe on the sideline to bring William in. These are big, iconoclastic moves, moves that are not done very frequently. An approach to discipline that seemed extremely harsh and suddenly, maybe with William breaking COVID protocol, for example, doesn't always seem evenly applied. So when you do those things and they work, then you deserve all the praise in the world. But when you do things that orthogonal from the way things are done traditionally and from the kinds of decision-making that you would consider within the normal scope of how coaches work, you have to have it work. If it doesn't work, it fails spectacularly. And in my view, Clive, that's what we're seeing. We are seeing the decision to get involved in his players' money, the decision to isolate Ozil and Socrates and Ganduzi and Saliba and Pepe, the decision to, to do the things the way he's done is now collapsing in on itself, in my view. And I think, unfortunately, these same senior players that he nailed his colors to the mast with are the ones who are revolting against that. You know, I, I know David Luiz's agent put out a statement saying, I'm totally happy with the coach, but he's got priors here. Clive, do you agree with me that these decisions, beyond just the footballing issues, but the decision to be a tough guy, to be a hard, you know, a, a disciplinarian, and to go in aggressively and do things to players that aren't traditionally done, maybe initially looked like culture change, but now looks like the shovel that dug his grave. It, it could be. I mean, we'll, if we lose on Wednesday, it'll be the first time in our whole history that we've lost five home games on the drop. So this isn't really a good time to have this conversation because results are king and no one wants to hear about these decisions because everyone's going to say, well, actually, Clive, 
you should play him. You know, you should play him. Why did this to him? And it's just like, what's the point? You know, what really matters is getting back on the winning path. Then we can have a proper adult discussion about the state of the club. You can't have a proper adult discussion about the state of the club when you're one defeat away from five home defeats on the trial. You just can't. Right? So anything you said there, I can say, well, yep, absolutely. That's the reason why. That is the reason why. When next guy comes in, what do you think he will do? What do you think he'll do with this squad? I mean, I, I want to be clear. I think this because I, I think I've said this a lot. I think the squad is bad, and I think the structure of the club is broken. And I don't think there's a manager in world football who would have us in the top four. But there is a point where things sink below a level that you can stay with what you're doing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, well, the results are t- the results are telling us that. And he, he's very close to the edge, right? He's probably two games away from the, the edge, probably. I'm not sure. The club may decide, well, you know what? We need to, at some point, make somebody think he's going to be here longer than the players. And they may decide to stick with. I'm I'm a bit concerned about that because of the exposure aspect we spoke to yesterday. We've not only put him in charge of something which is a very, very difficult job stroke project, we've stripped people away from him in the background and we've exposed him and I think that's bad I think that's bad and now he's starting to make not smart decisions that doesn't sound like good English does it <laughs> he's not he's making dumb decisions right and um, and we can all see them and we're all dissecting them and then we're dissecting his actions like you've just done we're dissecting his messages we're dissecting his press conferences we did this to Emery we did this to Wenger and we'll do it again because we're back to we're back to this is how we react. I prefer to look a bit more, a bit more deeply at this sort of stuff. I can't. I'm not going to get into a fight with you over it because there's just no point. Well, I haven't even yeah. gotten to the fight part yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's coming. We're sitting there with you know, even, even our. Oh, under, this was you making our, nice. Oh, yeah. This, oh, yeah, yeah I our underlying last year when we won stuff, our underlying metrics we were like a mid-table team. Now our underlying metrics are exactly where we actually are. So I guess it's even more worrying, which means this isn't a fluke. There are some teams overachieving, and but we're we're actually exactly where we belong. I've never known that in my top in of the crossing life. charts. Top of the crossing charts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never. I can tell you why that's happening, but it's another podcast. Mm. But maybe do. Are we going to rewatch? Yeah, <laughs> no, we are. It, we'll are we? watch the second half. Okay, yep. I will tell you exactly why that's happening and yeah. where the cowards are. Right. So, yeah. um, so. Yeah, I'm not going to fight you at it. I'm just not going to do it because well, we it, it's yet. not the right time. It's <laughs> not the right time for that conversation. <laughs> so you're not. You're going to have to go and uh, read. Did you agree? <laughs> do you agree? And I, I don't want. I'm not well, asking you I. to say uh, Arteta out or anything. But do you agree that we are approaching a level where even if it's not Arteta's fault, you have to make a change just because this has to stop. This has to get turned around. There's a bit of me that says, you know what, this can't continue. You know, I'm, I'm a, I didn't sleep last night. This can't continue. I can't. I can't start my weeks like this much longer. I'm an old man. I could go at any moment. Right. So, um, <laughs> so like, I can't. This can't continue. Right. This can't continue. And you know, I, I said it. I said it a couple of weeks ago. My, my mate Giles posted a video of Inga saying, "When you lose a couple of games, you make sure you don't lose three. You stop the rot at all costs." And he's had some boring games to make sure he don't lose three. But no one remembers because of, because you stop the rut. You change momentum. You stop it. I've seen this at all levels of football. You find a way to get a point. You find a way not to lose. And he's trying so hard to win. And every time he's trying so hard to win, 
his, his players or him with bad decisions are finding a way for us to lose, to go down to 10 men. We've done it twice in the last four or five games. I mean, gee whiz, where's those, where, do those, where does that come from? Seven no, reds since he's been here. Lucky not, we're lucky to knock down to nine men yesterday. And so there's a bit of me that says, you know what, I really, we need to do something. A bit of me that says, hold on a minute here. Hold on, Clive. Hold on a minute. We've got a bunch of donuts in our squad. Are they good enough to stop this guy? Is this the right guy? Not sure at this moment in time. But I damn well know they're not the right players. Nope. I'm absolutely convinced about that. You know, I was, I've been saying, you know my phrase, I've been saying it for two years now, I can see these I can see these players. And I had to shut my mouth when we won the cup because I'm thinking, crikey, I didn't think they could be that good. I didn't think they could get to those levels. And he did that. I wanted to blow this lot up two years ago. I could see it coming, blow this lot up. They're not good enough. They don't move well. They're not modern. There are teams around us that are buying modern two-way players that can move, that can pass, that can travel, that can dribble. And we've got a bunch of passing, slow, non-running, non-two-way players. And the, the age profile and the, the technical profile and the physical profile of this team does not belong anywhere near the top end of the league. Forget what we're called. Forget what our stadium looks like. Forget what our training ground looks like. Forget how many classy things we send out on Twitter. It don't mean shit. It's about your football team that you put on grass. And we've been putting a bad football team on grass for about four or five years now. And not only that, we haven't got the bollocks to rip them apart. Yep. And now they're feeling emboldened in that dressing room and they're chinning manager after manager. They're yep. doing it right in front of us. And, and they're shit. They yeah. are not Chelsea 2012. No, they're, they're not. They're crap. Mm -mm. They're I... crap players. And they are... And they are they, they really annoy me sometimes. They really annoy me. Yes, the manager shouldn't have chosen Shaka. And yes, the manager should not select William. You know what? The next manager edit will sit in two years' time and we'll be saying, you know what? Why is he picking him? Why is he picking him? Why did he change systems? That's just fandom. That's going to happen. Sure. And, but and, how we've well, got here is far more concerning and how we're still here concerns me. And... And that comes back to, I know you don't want to talk about it tonight, but somebody the, lead this club. The structure is going to have to get, look, that discussion will happen. I didn't want to do it today because it's such a big discussion and it's separate because Vinay is not the guy and Edu's not the guy and the Cronkies don't know who to put in. And that's been clear. Raul never should have been there. He was there just fleecing the club for money. Like none of this is okay, but that's another conversation. And in this moment, I wanted to focus on this specific issue. And and Paul, I'll let you come back in here real quick, but I want to add to Clive's point about the, the players not being good enough because he's right, but it raises another issue. And it, it's the one that I think will will ruffle feathers, unfortunately, but I, I feel like I got to say it. So uh, why don't you add the, the point you're going to make there and then I will push this conversation into the most uncomfortable uh, area. Yeah, sure. I know this pod is not about the rest of the structure, but... Uh, I don't know how we can't at least, you know, Clive has talked about it. I want to say my little bit on it. What they need to do, we talk like we have some say in this, some control, okay? So uh, I don't know that we have a little bit of supporters, but if we're going to going to think about this like we actually have a wand we can wave, we can command them to replace the manager or whatever. No, you're not replacing the manager till you appoint a czar of football. Oh, 
Actually, that might come straight from my Lenin and uh, enough, Stalin biographies. Enough for the book club. Oops, <laughs> I was wondering where that phrase came from. But like, put somebody above those guys, a Ralph Rannick kind of guy. Uh, find the best guy we can get in football who has the who will take a medium long term view. The problem with hiring a manager now is uh, what we've demonstrated is our manager is standing in the middle of a minefield. And he's got no map to work his way out of it. And sure, you can swap managers, but you're putting him in the middle of a minefield. You then own that manager for three years. He starts shaking up your squad. You better know what you're doing. You're about to cost yourself 20 million or something on getting rid of Arteta, signing up for another 20 million for the next guy. Um, He's not the guy you're going to want for two or three years because the guy you get right now in this mess is not going to be the guy you would want if you had next summer. So don't fucking do that. And what's more, the fans will settle down if they think the club has stepped up to what the real problem is. So point, appoint a real czar of football, a true director of football with a vision. Put, I mean, leave them with their titles, but put Arteta back to being a coach Um with somebody to guide him and to tell him, no, you don't want to do that. You know, if it, whatever about, you know, Ozo Ganduzi, that's settled law. But the next thing that comes along, you have a czar of football who says, actually, Mikel, I hear where you're coming from. Here's how I'd finesse this situation. Um, he steps in, gets control of our transfer dealings, our plan, our vision. The fans will settle down. We'll make a decision on Arteta. You know, I don't mind if we make a decision on him in January, but before you do that, fucking, you know, I'd take the keys away from everybody, from the fans, from the club, from everybody and say, no further to you work out who's setting the vision of this club, because that's somebody we should be we should be able to get right now. A, a director of football at another club can change at any time. Right. He's not in the middle of a season. He's not. It, it doesn't matter when he comes into our club. He can come in when it's a mess. That's probably the actually the best time for a director of football to come in, right? He's at the bottom. He can pick it up. He has a, a risk to uh, rewrite the vision and the plan for the club. He's the strongest hand. That's not the strongest hand to bring in a manager. It's a fucking disaster. We're not getting Pochettino in January with this mess, this minefield saying... We blew up our last three managers with this squad. Would you like to have a shot at it, Mr. Super Talented Manager? You know, And, and oh, the by bet- the way, we have no plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have no plan. So go, forget all this other shit, right? Forget the season, forget the manager discussion. I know we're about to come back to the manager discussion. And I'm not against assessing him because I think it's very legitimate to say, uh, is it time to replace him? I'm not quite there yet, but I I can't really argue with anybody who is there yet. And if you do it just based on facts, stats, trends, statistics, like he's due. But I just don't think that's necessarily... I'd take that away from Arsenal Football Club. Man up, root cause analysis here. What's the real problem here? And the real problem is the Crankies have left a fucking mess in London and they need to appoint somebody we can all get behind of that has a football vision and a plan and has proven at this kind of club with this kind of problem that he knows how to take them forward. Find the best guy in world football who'll come to us. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. 
and still think on a 41-point pace in the league after a year of results and, and underlying metrics this bad, you may be in a situation, especially given that you made Arteta manager and to do what you're suggesting, Paul, would require him to probably get a demotion anyway. You may not have a choice but to move on. Clive, uh, quick rejoinder to that before I um, touch on everybody's yeah. favorite subject. I think we've... Um, and I didn't I didn't always... I, mean, didn't, I wasn't always here in the actual list. You know, when we made the manager, I thought, yeah, so what? That's a stylistic thing. But actually... It's more than that. It's an organisational thing, and I think we've probably overpromoted both him and Edu by keeping them where they were or defining Edu's role to be like the South American guy. We could have put a European guy on top of them, and we could have had a great triangle there of, of you know, somebody older and two young people making their way in the game. It sort of makes sense. You you, you create a protective state over your young talent, and what we've done we've given the young talent to the, the keys to the car. And at the moment, they're driving into the wall and suddenly they're looking a little bit too young, a little bit vulnerable. And so if they come out of this, great. But we're now losing confidence in them and we know we're coming to a major rebuild. The most, the biggest rebuild in our history. And actually, the, the job at the moment looks really clear. The next steps are so obvious because contractually they're staring us in the face. We're hoping the world will come back to normal in the summer-ish and there'll be a marketplace There'll be hopefully people in the grounds in in the in the autumn, and so we're going to have secure revenues. People can speculate. There could be a market to get some of the squatters out of the club. But there was a moment a couple of years ago, actually, when we went for Monchi. Remember Monchi was now at Seville, and he turned us down. He went to Sevilla. I looked at the Champions League draw today. Sevilla in it. They won the Europa League last year. Monchi was being chaired by his players. He brought in nine new signings changed that club into a Champions League club within one year. We pivoted away from Montu, not sure what happened. Maybe the maybe with Raul and maybe, I'm not sure if anybody's at the club, I think he was. Maybe that could have been a godsend, I'm not too sure. That guy is one of the top, top guys. We couldn't get him. That's a massive red flag. We could not get him. He went to Seville. Right? And we're not talking a monster club. We went to Seville. And he's there doing what we want to do. He's rebuilt the club. He's rebuilt the playing staff. They're in the Champions League. They're in the Champions League last 16 today. And we're sitting here with Edu. And we don't. We have no track record in Europe. Zero. And we're, you know? and we're making among the dumbest decisions routinely of any big club I've, I, I've watched in the last... High I mean, risk. High risk decisions, Edu. You know what I mean? Really high risk. bad does it leaning into age, leaning into experience, asset destruction left and right, destroying the value of young assets, investing heavily in overage players. And th- this sort of leads me, though, to where Mikel Arteta, I-, I think, has made his life more difficult. Sometimes in life, you have to find other solutions. To a hammer, everything is a nail. To a hammer, everything is a nail. And Mikel Arteta right now sees everything as a nail that needs to be hammered down. But it can't only be hammers and nails. And the way he has handled his personnel situations gets talked about as culture, but in my view, it is just lack of imagination. Matteo Ganduzzi is a see you next Tuesday. Mesut Ozil might be a see you next Tuesday. They get paid by Arsenal Football Club to play football, and they can play football, and they could have helped this club. Mikel Arteta decided that we are better without them. That's a big call. And if you make that call, it has to help the club. That's the only way you get judged as a coach, as a manager. 
If you make a big call, it has to make you better. You can say it made the culture better. Did it? We're 15th. We're on 41-point pace. He made that call, and we got worse. So I can say it was the wrong call. Because against Burnley, if Ganduzi is playing instead of Shaka and Ozil's playing the Lacazette role, we win the game. Not because they're world beaters. They're just better than what we have. William Saliba was 30 million pounds. Now he's on social media popping off that he's frozen out. That's a big call. If you make that call, it has to make you better. It doesn't make us better. Rob Holding was on his way to Newcastle. Now he's here and Saliba's frozen out. That doesn't make us better. Reese Nelson was all set for a loan, then we pulled it back. It doesn't make us better. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, we were going to sell him for 15, 20 million to Wolves, and now he's just not playing. It doesn't make us better. 300,000 pounds a week to a 31-year-old striker, 200,000 pounds a week to a 32-year-old Chelsea reject. It doesn't make us better. And when you make these calls, if they don't make you better, you have to pay the piper. Because I can understand the culture argument. I got into it with LeGrove on Twitter. You know, a smart guy knows what he's talking about. I just think when it comes, you know, Paul said this on the Instant Reaction Pod. We are in the football business, not the culture business. If you're running a 10,000-person company, culture is very important because it binds the whole thing together. It's hard to manage 10,000 people. Football's a 20-person group. Those are the only people that matter. It's really about individual accountability and individual performances. You can't watch what Shaq is doing on the pitch and say that's culture and he gets picked every week. You can't. And now you have to start asking questions even about 50 million pounds on Thomas Party. Great player. Should a club that's in 15th spend 50 million pounds on a 27, 28-year-old? We're not going to be good while he's at the club. He's not going to get his top four. So, you know, I heard James say on the Arscast, we need to treat January like a summer window. And while I loved this Arscast episode, I thought it was fantastic, I couldn't disagree more. We need to spend zero in January and sell. Because the people in charge right now should not be spending anything because they've proven they have no judgment. Ultimately, we have destroyed asset value, we have pushed players out of the club, and we are worse for it. And I think, unfortunately, Mikel Arteta, I get it, he wanted to hammer down nails and he wanted to create culture. And if you win football games, everyone says, great job creating culture. But we didn't. And now his life is harder. Because he can't pick Matteo Ganduzi instead of Granite Shaka. Because he can't pick Mesut Ozil to play the role that Lacazette is not suited for. Because he can't pick William Saliba instead of Rob Holding. He and Rob Holding played well against Burnley, by the way. No criticism to him. It's just, you know, he he he's he took seventy two million pounds of of Pepe and replaced him with thirty two year old Willian in the starting lineup. These are decisions that ultimately do cost you your job because they make the team worse. And and. You know, that that's the problem. You can talk culture all you want. When teams win, they have a good culture. When Salah and Mane fight on the pitch and Liverpool win the title, it's it's their desire, right? It's their 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 winning culture. When Danny Ceballos and David Luiz and Danny Ceballos and Eddie and Kedia fight, it's a sign that things are imploding. We just like to apply that term post hoc, but we're not winning. And so, Paul, I mean, it is a long way for me saying that I keep getting told all these reasons why dumb moves are smart. And ultimately, maybe they're smart if they work, but none of them worked. So maybe these head-scratching moves that very few clubs make, you don't see three, four players frozen out at big clubs very often. Maybe they're just not smart. And there's, a, you know, the Jose Mourinho thing, I hate him, but, but Paul, there's a reason third season Jose Mourinho is a thing. Because that style, that aggressive, toxic 
manager approach, that, that hammer and nail approach can work if it binds everyone together and gets them fighting. But after a short period of time, they just don't want that anymore. They need a change. And that's the third season, Jose Mourinho. That happens to Thomas Tuchel. I just wonder if maybe it's happening very, very quickly with Arteta because we don't have the talent for it to work even to begin with. So I've said a lot of things there, but do you think it is fair to suggest that all of these sort of iconoclastic decisions, these big, bold decisions that at the time were maybe hailed as a culture change have in fact been what they kind of looked like from the beginning, which is making his life harder. And they've made his life harder to the point that now the team just can't overcome it. So, I'd be okay with the Ozil and again doozy stuff. <clears throat> I don't know that I love to get involved in the salary stuff, but okay. I, I think it played well in the suffering together thing. I think it's also a large part of how he ended up being a manager instead of a coach. That's the downside of it. Taking the what what would be perceived at least from the club side as taking the club side. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so I don't love that whole situation. But I still don't think it's the be-all and end-all of this. I think there was a way that there's no reason that those three items are the reason we're in the mess we're at. I think uh, here's where I think I differ from you a little bit in that I don't think taking a tough stand early on on a couple of things is the worst thing to in the world to do. And I think once you develop an understanding with your team, your crew, your squad, as you said, you build your own culture, you build trust, you don't have to lay down the law. Not everybody who uh, who ends up killing somebody needs to be uh, executed, right? There are there are degrees of crimes. There are there are degrees of punishment depending on circumstances. And as time goes on and trust builds within the squad, you handle different things differently, like. The William thing going off to Dubai or whatever. We don't have all the details, but I've no problem with the fact that the understanding between the team and the coach evolves over time. That's how it should be. I don't want him firing players out of a cannon every time something goes wrong after three or six months, even if he should fire the first one or two who make egregious uh, errors. So uh, I'm okay if it evolves in terms of the rule setting. What some people might see as inconsistency, I would expect it to change over time as the core team has settled in. They've, debil- they've developed trust among each other. So I, I agree with you on the, on, uh, when you're agreeing with me on the culture topic. Um, I think culture is like massively important. I, I'd reframe it like this, having ta- taught about it since yesterday. Culture is massively important, but the coach doesn't really get to make it except through winning, right? He can have a little input at the start, but then he's got to get on to football and making pragmatic decisions. And those could be things like uh, finding a way to build bridges with Ozil or finding another way to handle Ganduzi. Those are pragmatic decisions. So. He made his decisions. I'll live with them because I don't have all the details. But at some point, I agree with you. He has, needs to start getting super pragmatic about who, what bridges he burns, uh, who he keeps in the mix, because you need players. You need talent. We could definitely have used Ganduzi, but I don't think he's necessarily the answer to all our prayers. No, we could have not. used uh, – yeah, we could have used Ozil. But I fully like we have three plus managers, three and a half managers 
who in some way or other will talk about the challenges of managing Ozil. Absolutely. And two, two and a half decided better off without than with. And like a player who's that major and that that significant in terms of the landscape of, of a team can absolutely undermine a manager. So I understand him. I mean, and let's be fair to him. He played him, what, 10, basically 10 games straight in the Premier League to begin with. So it's not like he wasn't willing. And the only period where our metrics under him were any good, by the way, the underlying metrics. Yeah, yeah. Just worth noting. Uh, You're sure. Look, yeah, sorry, finish up. Was that it? So, Mm -hmm. uh, like, yeah, I guess so. I mean, basically, (laughs) basically, he, at the end of the day, the most important thing is finding ways to win. Because uh, that's how you reset culture, right? Yeah. Uh, Leicester City has changed, has evolved massively their culture since they did that thing called winning. Liverpool has uh, a culture built on winning that started to devolve into a lesser culture, uh, one that was kind of, well, uh, I won't won't bother describing it, but like the culture was beginning to be lost and they rebuilt it, but mostly... They rebuilt it by doing the right things, but winning. Yeah. Getting them better, better and better each season. Now under Klopp, they're serial winners. That's, you know, our culture under Wenger when we were winning versus our culture under Wenger when we weren't. Two different cultures. So uh, if, if you're going to tell me, and I don't mean you, I mean someone, that taking a 20-year-old with 4,000 Premier League minutes and making him a worthless asset is the right thing to do because culture. I just can't get there. I can't Can get there. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let me just say this and I'll say it in two sentences. I, I, sometimes the solutions have to be more creative. If you're paying someone 350,000 pounds a week to play football, find a way to get them to play some football for you. Because Paul brought up the, the concept of, you know, not every crime has to have the same punishment. This is like a crime where we punished ourselves. We punished ourselves. Yes, we punished the players. We punished ourselves too. Because now Mikel Arteta has to look around. And I mean, does he want to be starting Mohamed Elneny and Granit Xhaka? Does he want to be playing Lacazette as a box-to-box 8-9-10? Surely not. And I just think, if you're going to tell me that excommunicating a 20-year-old with 4,000 minutes to the point where he has no value to anyone was the right way to handle that situation, I'm going to say that's a club that's never going to thrive. And there has to be a voice in the club that says there's got to be a more creative solution to that and the Saliba situation reinforces it for me because again a 30 million pound asset that we are now we look like we have no idea what to do with it no idea what to do with it while his his French countryman uh, Fafana or whatever is is playing just fine in the Premier League when Saliba looked every bit as good as him just a season ago so I, I Clive better. Like, yeah better yeah he, he's better better. I, I watched them both many many times and um so I think you're conflating things a little bit here, if I'm honest with you. Usually, usually the case. And it's um it's a it's a it's a it's a really good conversation to have, but not by the context by which you laid it out, right? So I think you mix you mixed up culture with decisions. Right? So simple there have been lots of dumb decisions. We all agree. And the decisions look even more dumb today when you're sitting fifteenth in the league. Right? When you try to describe culture, what is culture? The simplest way to describe culture, basically, is the way we behave as a team, as a group of people, right? So, and those behaviours are reflected of the values you want to implement into a club. And so those behavioural type issues 
that are reoccurring, like Gwen Doozy, for example. You know, they don't want to kill the guy, but we sort of know they are reoccurring behavioural issues which go against the values which you're trying to implement. You can decide. You can decide, well, look, when he came in, he spoke about this is how I want us to behave, this is how I want us to live. They're cultural statements. If someone goes against those cultural values, the group's values, then you have a decision to make. Do I do I fold or do I act? Right? So he's chosen to act and move those people on. Right? So now if you want to talk decisions, we can talk decisions, but those guys that have basically gone against the values he's trying to lay down, they've been chinned. Now, when we're losing, we look at those decisions and say, was that the right thing? We're not close enough to know what generally happened. We're not close enough to know the, the splits in the camp. We're just not close. We can suspect with the contractual issues, with the clicks of the German clique in the camp and people that align to us or people that align to Socrates, people aligned to David Louise, people aligned to certain agents. You can imagine the concoction of issues in a club where 12 to 14 players will not be there next season. This is a real challenge to hold your standards and hold those cultural values when you can see things falling apart on the football pitch. And that is the power of the football player. They decide, right? They decide far too much in this modern game, in my opinion. So he's got to do his balance now. With, I need to carry these guys with me, even though they're not really showing the right behaviours or training or leadership on the pitch. I need to carry them. I need to support them. I need to keep playing them. I need to get to the summer. I need to get that far where I can put these plans into place. Right now, no one's sure if they're even good enough to put those plans into place. But what I will say, there is no team that have done anything in the game without a successful culture, common set of values, and a common set of goals. Like, there's no team, no team whatsoever that has done that. And you build upon that. You build upon it. And I know he's trying to do it. Whether he's strong enough to do it, whether he's got talent to do it, we can debate that. And right now, at this moment in time, this conversation, i got to caveat it because we're 15th. If you want to have a discussion on culture and discussion on these things and values and behaviours and things like that, then let's have it. Let's remove the context of where we are. Because that's the right thing to do. When Wenger came in, he did exactly the same thing. He laid down what people are going to eat, how they're going to live, how they're going to stretch, how they're going to train. He even took the tomato sauce away from people. He was laying down his culture, transformed the British game. It all sounds great because he won. Arteta won initially, now he stopped winning. So now we're splitting it all apart. We're dissecting it. Just win. Just win and everything looks good. But the challenge he has is, got these lumpy experienced players overpaid, non, not many PKs players, a group of amazing young talent not quite ready to carry the ship. I can't see an exit plan for him on the grass. That can end up with an exit plan on the club. Yeah, that's all well said. I I, I think, and, and Paul's gone, but if you do want to find him on Twitter for some reason, it's pausing in my pants. Um, Clive, I, I think the thing that is difficult for me with our current situation is that we have a coach who is not getting performances on the pitch with the talent he's got that are commensurate with that talent. It's a bad squad, but uh, Scott just posted 
we are 19th in the league in possessions that result in shot-creating actions. 19th. I mean, that that this I don't care how bad the players are. We we don't score. We don't create chances. And the 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 more he has tried to add to that side of the pitch, the more things have fallen apart at the other side. So, you know, is this a, is this a team you, that could be top four? Think, no. Mm-mm. But no. it's what not. What do you think happening football wise? What do What do you think's happening football wise? I mean, I'm interested because, you know, I heard Jane speak today, and I have to agree with him. He, the speed of this, the speed of this de- decline. You know, and I know you. I know you've got your numbers in your head. I know you look at underlyings, but mate, the speed of no, this it's decline, cratering now. Yes, I agree. And you is, know why, though? It is un- in it my is view unbelievable. So it is unbelievably fast. Go I'll ahead, answer mate. that. So I think it's a couple of things. I think it's just a couple small things because I think sometimes when you reach a tipping point with a team, um, you know, there's an expression: "How did you go bankrupt slowly at first, then all at once?" Um, in other words, like you know, you were getting into trouble, getting into trouble, getting into trouble, and then the the dam broke and the rest went to hell. And that that's what happened with Emery. And I think what happened here is Arteta had the system, that back three that he was using that wasn't creating a lot of attacking chances, but gave us a structure. We knew how to build play with it. We kind of had players and roles that they were getting used to, even if it was quite suboptimal. Well, it, what? And what? Sorry? It's quite flexible. As it, well, yeah, it? yeah. No, don't get me wrong. It wasn't back garbage. Three, that went it, to back four. That put three in midfield mm-hmm. when we needed it, but went to five channels defensively when we needed yeah. it. And so it had a lot of flexibility. I liked it, as you know. I know. But hey. um, no, but so this is my point, right? So that kind of worked. It kind of did. I don't think it worked as well as it could have, but it kind of worked. The metrics would tell you it wasn't sustainable at a level we wanted to be at, but it was solidly mid-table. And then to try to get us to where he knew we needed to go, he abandoned that system. He wound up going with certain players that maybe he shouldn't have gone with. And the combination of losing a few players he needed and going to a system that did, didn't feel as natural to him, that maybe, maybe the players didn't understand as well, it just kind of collapsed in on itself. Um, you know, And maybe there is a bit of players kind of abandoning ship now on the project. And that, that is the kind of speculation that you don't necessarily need. But again, I, I just think if all it was was Mikel Arteta was having some growing pains coaching... That's going to happen with a young coach. But we created a single point of failure in him. We consolidated power in him. And now, you know, he's made such big calls and made so many big moves already that aren't panning out for him that I think it's much harder to turn that around. And so, you know, I get it. It's easy to say, ah, oh, screw Mesut Get him out of the club. Screw Mateo. He says, see you next Tuesday. Get him out of the club. And like, I'm, I'm guilty of that too because there are times when you just want to tell that jerk to F off. But like... When you have the responsibility of coaching a billion-dollar sporting organization, you have to be flexible in your thinking. You have to take the assets that the club is putting millions of pounds into and find ways to turn those assets into value, either on the pitch or in the market. And our spectacular failure to turn our assets into value on the pitch and in the market is why we're in this position. And a lot of that is not on Arteta, but a chunk of it is. And that, to me, is the crux of it. When you run a billion-dollar sporting operation, football operation, your goal is one thing, turn assets into value on the pitch. And if you can't turn them into value on the pitch, turn them into value in the market. That's the whole thing. 
And no club in England right now is as spectacularly destroying the value of assets like Arsenal. And that has to be arrested immediately. And if Arteta was just the coach, it might be about just putting a structure in above him. But so much power has now been consolidated in him that unfortunately, I think he probably has to go to arrest that asset destruction, that value destruction. Because Clive, if we're ever going to be good. We're not going to be good soon. It's not going to be this year. It's not going to be next year. It's not going to be the year after that. We have to start converting assets to value. And uh, Liverpool showed it can be done. I think we can do it too. But I don't know that we have any people at the club that can do it. I mean, is, is that fair? Look, you've you've been closer to asset management than I've ever been. You've worked in finance in your life. I have not. Um, so maybe I'm talking out my ass, but like, do, do you see my, no, my no. essential point though, which is that we have these assets that we pay millions of pounds for and we are destroying their value both oh, on we, the pitch we're and We're terrible. We're terrible. We're terrible at these decisions. Right? And it's almost like we don't need to relitigate it, Elliot, because we, we sort of know them all. You know, decisions to bring them in, decisions to play them, decisions, we've seen them destroyed on our watch, you know, just terrible. Just, uh, I don't want to go there, right? It's heartbreaking. The Grand Duty one is quite an interesting one. That's quite a near-term one. So let's, let's use that as an example, right? So he came in for 7 million quid as an 18, 19-year-old, I think that's right. 18, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 18. He comes in, plays lots of minutes, does quite well. Does quite well in an environment where... Emery was losing some of the players, and obviously the players that he brought in were quite loyal to him. Guendouzi being the chief one, he got loads of minutes on the pitch. He was okay, quite talented, quite um, personality-driven, quite demonstrative, quite individualistic. Very hard to pin down positioning, hangs to the left a lot, leaves the centre open, teams ran through us. We weren't great in the league, didn't quite get where we quite needed to get to. He comes into our test. Um, He's there when Arteta arrives. Arteta has a look at him and maybe decides that he's a little bit too individualistic for him with his and can't get him to play as he wants him to play in a bit more of a positional system with a positional coach. And he's a bit of a free spirit. He likes to be where he likes to be, hair flying in the wind. Look, I watched him recently. Trust me, I've watched him. I watched him on the weekend. I watched the game. I'm watching him jogging around. I've seen his YouTube clips. Mate, I'm watching him. I'm watching him. He is not a solution to our problems. I'm telling you right now. Okay. He's a nice player. He is not the solution to no, the no, problem. No, no, I'm not saying league. he is. But, but do, do you think yeah. that taking a 19-year-old with 4,000 Premier League minutes and rendering that asset essentially valueless through, you know, really well, publicly... Well, this, this is where I was going. This, I, yeah, sorry, go ahead. This is where I was going. Because right now, because we're doing something that we don't normally do. We, we He's out on loan now with a year and a half to go on, the, on his deal. He'll come back in either in January or the summer. I'm not quite sure the details of the deal. And he would have played another season. He would have had minutes in two leagues, three leagues now. And he will have some value if he continues to play this well in that German league. I actually don't think that's too bad. Mm. We've done far worse things, do you know what I mean, <laughs> than that one. Um, Terrell was gone out. I thought that one confused me a little bit more because I, I think that type of player we could actually do with. And he's not playing. So he potentially could come back in January. Will he come back to play or will he come back to be sold to Torino or one of those two clubs I think are after him? So I'm not too sure in that situation. So I actually quite like the fact that you come back to your fail fast thing. If he doesn't like him, that's fine. Then loan them. They hold their value. They're playing. They're in the shop window. People that like them can come and get them. It's the stuff we've done historically, which I think is really bad, which I totally agree with you. You know, we have players that come here for a pension and they sit here on these wages that we pay them too much 
and they don't have to win. Back to the culture discussion again. You don't have to win. Why is it okay? Why are we getting Lichsteiners? Why are we getting Socrates? Why do you feel we need these leadership guys in the club? Because we're leaderless. Why are we getting David Luiz? I urge you to watch the video the day when David Luiz signed. I urge you to watch it as he walked into the club for his medical. I just want you to watch it and see how he bowls in like he's like like he's the king. I, I just want you to watch it. And it told me something about our club. It really broke my heart, actually. But why does he think he's a big deal? He's not He's not the big deal. I've seen videos of him 10 years ago giving away penalties stupidly. Yet we decide to pay money for him. Chelsea then replaced him with a guy that's two years older. Two years older. He's coming to their team. He's been better. And now in, in Thiago Silva, they're going to offer him a new contract. He'll be there for two years. He'll be there when he's 37. He'll be there. Because he's got better dressing room culture and values than David Luiz had. Frank Lampard wanted him out. And he got him out, and we were stupid enough to pay him because of the situation we were in, because we misread the last skipper. Mm. It's just decision after decision after decision. And this is where we are. And something that Mo said on, on Twitter, and I really believe it, he said, this is where you end up, where you where you spend three and a half years dithering and not taking on the rebuild. We didn't take it on soon enough. And now we're in a situation where it doesn't matter who the next major is, the job is obvious. You're damn right. I thought when, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, sorry, mate. You know, when Arteta first, when we looked at the Emery One pod, I thought the next one after Emery would be the guy. But I think it's the next one after Arteta. If Arteta survives this and comes out stronger, we put people around him, then great if we have a plan. If a couple of this there, wasn't there, mate, that came out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. The next guy that walks in is completely unburdened by this. Hopefully there'll be a structure around him. And he can, the job is obvious. It's like, you just wake up, well, I've got rid of these 10. They're going. Four are going anyway because their contracts are running out. Great, I ain't got to worry about them. These idiots who've one year to go, they need to go. Find yourself a club, mate. You're off. And you're off and you're off and you're off. That's 14 gone. Bang. I can now bring in seven and I can promote some fantastic youth players. What a fantastic job that is for somebody. Could it be Arteta? Not sure. The next job of the Arsenal manager has got to be one of the most plumb jobs in the world. You've got great youth quality, great youth quality there. I'll fix it. Really quite experienced. (laughs) That's really thank you. That's really quite experienced, and all the all the old guys are on their way. They've taken their money. They've had enough coffees in Highgate. They're on their way. So here we are. Here we are. So. It's tough, mate. It's tough, but the next steps are so obvious. You just decide. It's just how we want to get there, and I'm not. And that's the bit that's the debate, and that's why we need results to to make us feel a bit more serene. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And I, this is why I bristle when people are like, "Oh, we're not accountants," you know. Oh, why? You know, why are you always talking about value? You know, the, the some of the criticism I got for not being totally on board with the party signing, for example. You can't sit up and 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 this is not with you, Clive. I'm just saying, you know, in general. You can't sit no, up. I, I, and, and, it's, a, it's a very good. It's a very good view. I don't dismiss it, Elliot. You know, football wise, I, I, I'll have a row with anybody about him as a footballer, but club strategy wise, it's a really valid view. Yeah, and, and yeah, because 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 um, I think what I'm saying is, you, you said you know the rebuild has to happen, but like for the rebuild to happen, 
You can't come up with an, an excuse for all the short-term moves. You can't say, well, all right, yeah, I get that Aubameyang's going to be 31, but th- this, this one's going to be fine. Let's just do this one. Oh, okay, I realize Party's expensive and he's, he's mid-prime, but, you know, he'll make us better and, and we need that. Okay, well, I realize Willian is 32, but we'll get one good year out of him where he'll push us to top four, so that, one, that one's probably okay. Hey, Cedric, you know, he's not that expensive and it's a backup. Oh, Pablo Marine, you know, we need a left side. The problem is every move can be justified, all of them. Every move, from isolating Ozil and Ganduzi to getting Cedric and Marie and and re-signing Aubameyang and bringing in Willian, they can all be justified. But we're here for a reason, and the reason I believe we're here is because we've been justifying too many of these things. As Clive pointed out, as he said earlier, status anxiety. The fact is, as fans, we want our club to be great. So we will come up with justifications for dumb moves because it's better than just having to admit we're dumb. I, I get that. But you know what? The medicine is bitter, but it has to be taken. 31-year-old strikers shouldn't be on 300000 a week at clubs that are mid-table. They just shouldn't. It's a bad move. It's not going to get you where you want to go. And 32-year-old wingers on 150, 200, 100, whatever it is, 1000 a week, shouldn't be brought in in a position with a guy who's, mid, who, who's just entering his prime who you paid £72 million pounds for. Like, these moves aren't defensible. They're, they're not defensible. And so we now have these problems. And the, you know the difference? You can hire and fire a coach. You can. But you can't sack the squad. So now we're sat. Aubameyang, you know who's going to buy Aubameyang on 300000 a week at 32 years old next summer? Nobody. You know who's going to buy Willian? Nobody. Cedric? Nobody. Pablo Marie? Nobody. Just like nobody wanted Mustafi. Just like Shaka, we can't, you know, maybe we could have moved him, but we didn't. Nobody wants these players, and there are problems. Nobody wanted Mesut Ozil on three fifty a week. And now nobody has him. Literally not us either. So... These decisions don't just affect you short-term by making the team not better. They affect you massively long-term because you can't move out of them. You're stuck with them. So let me tell you something. You know what the lineup is for opening day of the 21-22 season? Willian, Oba, Lacazette, Shaka. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's the lineup because that's who we've got. So lean into it. And that that is the problem. When you excuse these short-term moves, you don't just mortgage the short-term, you mortgage the long-term in a big way, and that's what we've done. And, and, and that is not Arteta's problem, but I think Arteta has leaned into it a bit. He had no one above him to say no, and he's been the victim of, of that power vacuum at the club. And ultimately, it floats all the way up to the Cronkies, but we're not going to have that conversation right now because that's just you know a bit tedious. You want to wrap it up there? Final no, I, I I absolutely agree. It's painful, right? It's really painful. It's nothing we haven't said before, but when you see it condensed and you see it coming, it's 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 really painful. The dumb decisions. We're dumb on the pitch. We're dumb off the pitch at the moment. I'm going to try and leave a little bit of positivity. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to drag some positivity out of this. What I will say is, you know, it was it was only a little while ago we were watching. Bamiyang run through Man City's defence, right? And it is only literally, was it August? It wasn't that long ago. The speed of this has surprised me. You know, I do agree with your point about justifying dumb decisions. When we went for Cedric, I thought, well, why are we doing that? I'm not too sure. But he can play left-back and right-back. So that's maybe quite smart, because we can lose Kolasinic, and then we've got his cover there already for zero cost. That's a smart decision. But Klasnik is still here on 150 grand a week. So it's not smart. You see what I mean? And so we just keep stacking this stuff up. And now we've got somebody there in Cedric blocking off Maitland Niles. He's looking, it's just dumb, 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 dumb. We need All to stop down. being dumb. <laughs> we need to stop being dumb. <laughs> we need to stop being dumb. 
is start thinking. And I can't expect anyone to be confident that some of these very same people, though we've fired everybody apart from the last couple, some of these very same people are the right people to take us forward in a more intelligent way. I want to believe it. I really do. I want to believe there's a plan. I want to believe that these guys are super talented. The only sprinkles of hope we have are some of the signings around Martinelli, Gabriel, and, and party from a plain side of things. Though I take your point that in three years' time, when we could be good, will he still be good? I think he will, but I take your point. Tierney, there's a few there. There's a few there we can build around. Oh, yeah. it's not. It's and, not, um, not all of them are terrible. Like the Ga- Gabriel signing looks like you know, one of the shrewdest we've made in a decade, certainly. Yeah, we're not bereft. And um, and so we just need to f- make make a few more intelligent decisions in a row and do what you've been talking about, Eddie, and what, what we said a couple of years ago. Blow this stuff up real quick and don't worry about the pain. Don't worry about your status. Just do it. Just do it. That's how you make people think you're serious. Don't half cut it by having these guys in to make you feel good. They're just vanity signings. Just be, just really go for it. Although I still think Aubameyang was not the worst thing in the world. But right now, when he's not scoring, I can't argue. So there you go. Yeah, and, and to be clear, I always have to say this. My favorite player, love him, wanted him to stay. But my head said, at that money, at that age, we're committing ourselves to someone who's not going to be good enough through the project we're trying to create. Um you know, if it was Balogun, Enkedia, and Odison Edward, right? Would you would you feel a little better about what the upside is? I feel, what, what the long term? I feel better I on know. the I feel better on the spreadsheet, but people can fold. Well, we can't be any can worse fold. on the pitch, so the spreadsheet yeah, would be a start. <laughs> <laughs> you know, from the spreadsheet side of things, wow, it looks really good. You know, look at these ages, these guys. Look at their talent. And as soon as they play a bad pass, oh, we need some. We need someone a bit more of a sure thing in there. It's very, very, very difficult to please. You know, you need to get the balance right. And we've got it wrong. We've got it wrong. There's no debate. We've got it wrong. And, yeah, um, that's fair. There's too many people hanging around, too many squatters hanging around in there, mate. You know that. They will soon be gone. They will soon be gone. Well, I think it's time for us to be gone. Just a smooth uh, 102 minutes into the podcast. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot more conversations like this. And starting with the one on Wednesday against Southampton, uh, where I... I think it could get really tricky. And I, I look, the one thing that is clear, no matter what I think we should do, I am rooting for Mikel Arteta. I am rooting for these players. I am rooting for this club. So I hope we win by the scoreline I'm about to announce on Wednesday. And I hope he turns it around and sticks it right back in my face and leads us back up the table. And next season we win the GD title like that. That would be fine with me. Um, so here's hoping, but I certainly think from where we are, uh, it's, Harder to see. It's easier to see the bottom than the top. So that's that's concerning. Uh, Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, bud. Thank you very much. Tim will be back in the future, as will Scott, of course. Uh, Clive and I will do a rewatch of the second half of this game, which you are obligated to join us for on Patreon because you know what you did. You're being punished. Uh, we will also be scrapping Paul's book club idea, having listened to his reading list, which is deeply concerning. In any event... Hang in there, everybody. These aren't the easiest times. They are interesting times, and hopefully they will lead to uh, better times ahead, and I hope we can all enjoy them. What I will say is uh, these moments will make the good moments that much sweeter. And you know what? We won an FA Cup last summer, so always worth remembering when we're at the bottom what it felt like to hoist the cup and, and those good days, and hopefully more good days in the future. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Southampton. Southampton.